Good morning, church. So glad that you are here today. It's been a while since we've had snow on the weekends, hasn't it? So you guys, you're, you're the tough ones, you know. You're the ones who got up and said, we can do this. And you came. But we're glad to have all of our online community uh, with us as well this morning. Uh, we're in a series uh, called Exponential. And you may be wondering, well, what in the world does that word mean? Uh, those of you who are math majors uh, may have heard of Leonardo uh, Fibonacci. Uh, he lived in the 12th century in Italy, and he was once asked a math question, uh, how many rabbits will you have in a year if every month uh, each pair produces a new pair? Now, at the time, Europe was using Roman numerals. So you can imagine crunching those numbers <laughs> using Roman numerals. But uh, he remembered uh, as a boy learning the Arabic ten-digit numerals, and so he started using those instead. And two things happened as a result of that question. Uh, Europe uh, began using Arabic numerals, and he came up with what is known as the Fibonacci sequence. And he calculated that after one year, there would be 466 rabbits. And after two years, there would be 155,000 rabbits. But in another six months, that number would explode and, uh, exponentially to more than two and a half million rabbits. That's exponential. Uh, my parents... Uh, the two of them had six children. Uh, we gave them 21 grandchildren, and those grandchildren had 45 children for now a total of 72 people. We have our own clan now. <laughs> two people to 72. That's exponential. And what we want to talk about in this series is that while oftentimes you and I, we think addition, God thinks exponentially. God thinks multiplication. And I want to challenge us to be thinking these next couple of weeks over what would happen if you and I did the same thing. Today we're talking about the seed of faith. And there's a good chance today that some of you need to hear this message. Because some of you may find yourself at that point in life where you're beginning to settle. You're beginning to settle. Uh, one day, Melinda and I were eating <clears throat> at a restaurant, and we were engaging the waitress in conversation, and it went way beyond the usual chit-chat. Uh, she was being uh, very transparent about where she was in life. And near the end of our meal, I received a word from God for her. Now, that doesn't happen to me very often, but when it does, it's usually very clear. But I didn't know quite what to do. And those words, simply two words, don't settle. And so I asked my wife, what, what should I do? I really feel like this is something God wants me to say to her. And my wife, being a very practical person, said, well, just tell her. And today I would have. But back then I didn't quite have the confidence I have today. And, and so I kind of took the, the coward's way out. I just wrote it on my check. Those two words, don't settle. I wonder how many of us need to hear those words today. Don't settle for less than God's best for you. You know, maybe at one point in your life you believed that God was going to do some amazing miracles in your life. 
You prayed that God would, would use you to make a difference in this world, and, and then life happened, and, and then not much happened, and, and then you settled. Maybe it's been a long time since you've seen God do anything in your life. Maybe you had a, a great idea for a, a business that you wanted to start, and, and your prayer was something like, God, I, I want to do something that I'll love to do every single day of my life, and it's going to help a lot of people, and I'm going to employ a lot of people, and, and God, maybe I'll make a lot of money as well, but, but God, I'd like to do something like that. But, but now you begin to settle, and your prayer is something like, you know, God, I, I'll take any job. You know, I just want to move out of my parents' basement. Help me do that. Or maybe you prayed, you know, God, send me a, a beautiful woman who loves you and is five foot five and blue eyes and she's really smart and has a great job and she would make a great mom and we'll go for long walks on the beach and she'll be my best friend and my, and my soulmate. But the years go by and, and by and nothing and your prayer begins to change. So, you know, God, I'm not that picky. <laughs> and you settle. And you lower your expectations of what God might want to do. Well, maybe you did find Mr. Right, and, and you married, and you became a, a parent, and you, you prayed something like, God, I want to be the, the best parent in, in the world, and I want to have amazing kids who will be deeply spiritual and love and serve you, and God, I promise I will read to them every single night, and, and junk food will never, will, will never, they'll never eat junk food, and, and God, they will never hear a, a curse word come from my mouth, and and you've, you've kind of settled, and now your prayer is simply, God, don't let me kill my kids today. <laughs> Just get me through this day. Are you settling? Here's what I want us to, to think about. Are we tempted, tempted to settle? What, what might God want to do in your life? What seed, what single seed of faith does he want to plant in your life? Well, in Genesis 12, we meet Sarah and Abraham. They've had a great life, successful life, living in the city of Ur. Uh, he's 75 years old, and, uh, and he's got a lot of friends there, and, and Sarah's, they're, res they're, they're respected. They're influential citizens. It's a good life, a, a very good life, though they both wish that that God had given them children. But all this comes to an end one day when God speaks to Abram and then he gives them a promise. Let's hear their story. The Lord has said to Abram, go from your country and your people and your father's household to the land that I will show you. And I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. And I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so Abram went, as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. And Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran, and he took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions they had accumulated and, and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan. And they arrived there. Now try to imagine 
what was involved in, in obeying this command. I mean, he had to sever all of his business connections and he had to give up his comforts and, and the conveniences of a world that he knew and, and leave behind this modern cosmopolitan city and, and go live as a nomad in a tent in the middle of, of nowhere. And all at the age when, when most of us are well settled into our retirement years. And from a common sense point of view, I mean, it must have been crazy. And doubtless his friends told him so. Abraham, where are you going? Well, I don't know exactly. Well, what are you going to do when you get there? Well, we're going to start a nation. <laughs> yeah? You don't even have any children. What are you talking about? I mean, you're no spring chicken. But they don't care. They don't care what their neighbors think. They're so excited. And they begin to pick out baby names, and, and they paint the nursery, and maybe a, a woodland scene with, with animals if it's a, and trees if it's a boy, or, or maybe a nice ocean theme with soft pastels if it's a girl. And they're reading baby magazines, and, and, and they're planning out their Facebook reveal, But nothing happens. And the weeks go by. And the months go by. And the years. And no baby. Which brings us to chapter 15. Verse 1 begins, after this. <laughs> after this. Genesis 12 is the promise. But Genesis 15, it's sometime later. How much later? Well, we're not exactly sure, but probably around 10 years, but, but God takes this opportunity to reassure Abraham. He says, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield. I am your great reward. And then Abraham reminds God that he and Sarah are not getting any younger. Where is this child that you promised? 10 years of disappointment, folks. 10 years of unanswered prayers. 10 years of unfulfilled promises. He must have been thinking, where are you, God? Why aren't you doing what you said you would do? Maybe you felt that way. God, I, I thought you would, you would help my son, but he's further away from you than ever before. Or God, you know how sick my mother is. God, if you don't intervene now, it's going to be too late. Where are you, God? Did I hear you right? God, did you forget me? You see, from Abraham's point of view, nothing is happening. There was no evidence that God was, was doing anything. On verse 5, God reminds Abraham of his promise, and he says, Abraham, let's go outside. And it's a beautiful, clear night, and the sky is, is full of stars. At, at Christmas, we went to... Um, uh, out in the country, we were visiting some family, and, and, and out where these folks live, there's no street lights, there's no neighbor lights, uh, there's no porch lights. And, and one of my grandchildren looked up and they said, Grandpa, look at all the stars in the sky. See, they're city kids, and they've never seen that many stars before. And that's what God says to, that's what God says to Abraham. He says, look at all the stars, Abraham, and, and just try to count them if you're able. That's how many your descendants will be. You're not just going to have a son. You're going to have a nation. 
That's exponential. Verse 6 tells us how Abraham responds. Abraham believed the Lord and he credited to him his righteousness. You see, Abraham chose to believe even when everything else told him that it was impossible. God would exceed his expectations. And I wonder sometimes if our view of, of God needs to be enlarged, that if it needs a little correction, I wonder if our understanding of God is simply too small, that, that we're too tempted to see God as the stingy kind of God. And maybe you're thinking of God as, as, as a God who just provides the bare minimum. And folks, if this is your view of God, I, I have some good news for you. It's a very good chance that you're wrong. Now, most of the time, we don't like to be told that we're wrong, but sometimes it can be a welcomed relief. Sometimes it feels good to be told that you're wrong. And I think that's what this story tells us. This story is a, is a welcomed correction to those of us who think that God is stingy and miserly. And the truth is that God is an extravagant God, that he is a God of abundance. And, and over and over again in the scriptures, from, from Genesis to Revelation, we have presented a God who provides in abundance. And so Paul would write in Philippians 4.19, And my God will fully satisfy every need of yours according to his riches in Christ Jesus. And the psalmist would write in Psalm 104, the earth is satisfied with the fruit of thy work. In other words, fulfillment and, and satisfaction are built into the basic structure of creation. That we can live completed, not deprived. That we can live praising, not complaining. Because God is able to provide you with every blessing in abundance. Folks, the good news is we have an extravagant and generous God. And it can all be summed up with Jesus' words to us. He said, I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. In Matthew 13, Jesus is teaching his disciples about the kingdom, about the exponential growth of the kingdom. And he tells a story of a farmer who goes out to plant some seed in, in his field and, and some of the seed was eaten up by the birds and, and some, of the, uh, some of it fell on the hard soil and quickly died and some fell among the thorns and was quickly choked out. But some, some fell on good soil and, and produced 30, uh, 30 and 60 and some fell on really good soil and it grew a hundredfold, way beyond expectations. You see, the single seed didn't just produce a single seed. Jesus said the seeds produce a harvest 30 times what was planted. Some produced 60 times what was planted. And some produced 100 times what was planted. Folks, you have no idea what God may produce through a single seed planted in faith. Skip over to Matthew 14. Jesus again blows away our expectations uh, you may remember the story, the feeding the 5,000. Jesus spent the day teaching the crowds. Finally, the day comes to a close, and the crowd is still hanging around. So his disciples, they go to him, they say, Jesus, the crowd's not going home, and they haven't eaten all day long, and, and there's no restaurant in view. God, you know, or Jesus, uh, send them away so they can go home and get something to eat. But Jesus has other plans, and he says to them, you give them something to eat. The disciples look at each other, they roll their eyes, and they say, it's not possible, Jesus. There are thousands here. It would cost thousands of dollars to, to have a meal catered. It's just, it's just not our fault 
that these people didn't plan ahead, that they didn't bring their own lunch. Not our fault. What's going on here? Well, the disciples have been following Jesus for some time now, and they've, they've seen him do some incredible things. The problem with this is that the disciples took this naturalistic assessment of the situation. They, they looked at the crowd of, of, of thousands. They looked at the five loaves of bread and two fish, and they, they came to a very sensible, a very logical, and, and a very uh, natural conclusion. It cannot be done. It's not enough. We don't have enough. They failed to understand the possibility of of a miracle. They failed to understand the unlimited resources uh, that God has. And so Jesus says, you feed them. And they said, it can't be done. And I understand this because I have done this repeatedly. I have been a Christ follower for 46 years. And I still forget that God can provide me with natural, with supernatural resources far beyond my own very limited abilities. And we do the same thing. You know, we look at our work and we think, gosh, there's not enough hours in the day to get everything done. Or we look at our marriage and we wonder, will my marriage work? Or, or we look at our children and we think, will they ever get a job and work, you know? Or, or, or we look at our checkbook and we think, gosh, it's, it's hopeless, we look at our physical or emotional limitations and, and we think, I'm never going to feel good again. And the church does the same thing. You know, we look at around our community. We look at all the, the people that need to be helped. We look at the people who have addiction issues, people who need to be fed and clothed and, and counseled. And we think, gosh, we can't do it. We see things that need to be done and we say, we don't have the money. We look at all the problems in, in our community, in our neighborhoods, and we say, well, I can't change it. And so we take this very naturalistic assessment of our situation, but we fail to see all the resources that that God can provide. We look at our meager resources. We look at our five loaves and our our two little uh, bits of fish, and, and we look at our crowd of problems, and we are overwhelmed, and we say, it can't be fixed. And that's what the disciples think. And so Jesus uses this as a, as a teaching opportunity. He asked them, how many loaves did you bring? And they said, five, two fish. And so they bring what they have. Jesus blesses them. It's distributed. 5,000 people are well fed. And how many basketfuls are left over? Twelve. Twelve basketful of leftovers. And you're thinking, okay, so the disciples were a little slow, but, but what an impact this miracle must have, must have had on them. Never again would they ever doubt Jesus' power and ability to help them in their time of need. These 12 disciples must have, have grown exponentially in that one moment into giant spiritual leaders ready to meet any obstacle that life would ever throw at them. Never again would they doubt God's provision. That's what you would think. But remarkably, that's not what happens. In fact, the very next story, Jesus is is walking on the water. Peter sees him, and and Jesus invites him to come out on the water. He takes a couple steps. He begins to sink. Jesus catches him and says, Oh, oh, you little man of faith, why did you doubt? Same thing happens to Abraham. Abraham. You would think that after Abraham made a decision to believe the promise of God that that it was settled, that he would think, you know, we're having a baby, period. God said it, I believe it, that settles it. 
But it's not what happens. Fast forward to chapter 16 and more time has gone by. Abraham is, is 85, Sarah is 75, and Sarah is beyond frustration. She had so much wanted to have a family, but now she has all but given up. And I can only imagine the, the anger that she must have felt towards God. I mean, it was one thing to be childless, but for God to promise a child and not come through must have been more than what she could bear. Until finally she just decides to forget this covenant promise that God has made and to take matters into her own hands. And she does. Abraham, take my maid, Hagar, and let's have a surrogate baby. And they do. And nine months later, Ishmael is born. And rather than solving their problem, it only makes the situation worse. Thirteen more years pass by. Abraham is now 99. Sarah is 90. And then suddenly three visitors show up at their tent and tell him, I will surely return to you about this time next year, Abraham, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. And Sarah overhears the conversation, and she does what any of us would do. She falls on the ground, on her face, laughing. And she laughs because she knows that, humanly speaking, there is no way that this is ever going to happen. But a year later, a son is born. She names him Isaac, which means laughter. And God's promise comes true. You see, God's story is all about accomplishing what seems impossible. And what I want to remind you of today is that you are a part of that story. You're a part of God's story. And that God is working in your life even when you do not see it. See, what we don't see is that the seed has been planted and God is sending the rain and, and God is sending the sun and God is sending all the nutrients and, and things are happening, but they're happening underground, but you haven't seen it yet emerge from the soil. Long before you see the fruit, God is working on the root. And you have no idea what God can do through a single seed that's planted in faith. Abraham had the very same problem that we have, a very limited perspective. See, he's in his tent telling God that he can't see anything working. And we do the same thing. God, I'm, I'm buried in debt. God, my job is a dead end. The medical report, not good. God, my kids won't talk to me. It's not good. God, I don't know if you're paying any attention, but my life is a mess. And if you're feeling that way today, I want to encourage you to come out of your tent and to look up at the sky and count the stars if you are able. So shall your descendants be. I wonder how Abraham felt when he looked up at the sky. Silence. Was he stunned? Was he shaken beyond belief? Did he, did he fall down and worship? Did he cry out? Did he say, God, I'm so sorry I doubted. I was thinking addition, and you were thinking exponential. I was thinking a son. And you were thinking a nation. Never measure 
God's unlimited power by your limited expectations. And the thing is, it only takes one seed. One seed is all it takes. And folks, that seed is you. That seed is your life. One life given in faith. And I know God does that because I've seen him do it in my life and I've seen him do it in many of your lives here today. One seed. We have 30 of our confirmands being confirmed right now over in the Fellowship Hall. And each one of our students has a unique story of faith. For some of our students, their, their faith began at an early age. One of our students wrote this. He said, I have been a believer for as long as I can remember. I don't ever remember a time when I did not know Christ. And I'm so thankful for my family that has helped me from the very beginning to grow and to have a stronger faith. Now for other of our students, that faith came later on in life. But for all of them, it has been a, a process, an up and down process. One student said, when I was younger, I never really took time to get to know Christ. Oh, I would go to church, but, but I really wouldn't listen to what was being taught. But all that now has changed. And I now believe that God is guiding me to help others in his name. And I believe that God is creating new challenges for me to overcome. And, and I accept him and his word with all of my heart as I continue to worship and serve him. See, this church, you, its people, its ministries have played a significant role in planting that seed of faith. As one student said, I came to Anderson Hills and it was like seeing the world in a completely different way. And I am so thankful for this church because I know I would still be lost without it. One seed planted in faith. Folks, we serve a God, we, we serve a God who can do exceedingly more than we ever thought or dreamed. Let's pray. Oh God, we, all of us here today, need a word of encouragement from you that we may dream your dreams again. And no doubt some of us here, oh God, have settled. Maybe we're frustrated. Maybe we're discouraged. Maybe we find our faith is completely drained. And it's hard to just hold on. For some of us, God, we have stopped dreaming. And if that's so, God, help us today to hear you speak to us. Let us hear your words. I am with you. And I love you. And I have beautiful plans for your life. Free us, O oh God, from thinking addition. Help us to think exponential. Let us hear your invitation to be a part of our life. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Amen.